Hello again, how are you? It is absolutely fabulous to see Curve open again and to see audiences and supporters back in the building. I must say congratulations first of all to Team Curve who've worked tirelessly to implement a whole range of measures to ensure that you feel comfortable and safe. The season preview was an exciting way to whet the appetite for things to come but there is so much more to talk about. The Autumn Brochure will give you a real idea of the diversity of material coming to Curve later this year, so look out for it. Now in this episode of the podcast Curving Conversation, I'll be talking to some of the performers, directors and others who will feature in the next few months, including Darren Brown who brings his brand new show to Curve in October, and Sharon Full who was here recently in Amdram and returns in the eagerly anticipated Everybody is Talking About Jamie. First, though, you may remember in episode 7 of the series, Fiona spoke to the director of the Pulitzer Prize-winning Tennessee Williams Classic, which should have opened here last year. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof has now been rescheduled and will open later this year on Friday the 3rd of September. It's a made-at-curve English touring theatre and Liverpool Everyman and Playhouse co-production and is also supported by grant funding from the Royal Theatrical Support Trust. The director is, of course, Anthony Almeida. How are you, Anthony? Good and excited to get going again. Now, when we spoke to you before, of course, you'd just been awarded the RTST Sir Peter Hall Director Award for 2019. But I wonder how many people know that when this play was first staged in this country all those years ago, it was actually directed by Sir Peter Hall, wasn't it? It was. So there's a real sense, yeah, sort of of coming full circle with it. Or, you know, there hasn't been really, I don't think there's ever been a major UK tour of the production. That was one a few years ago, went to a couple of cities and then another one in the West End a few years before that. But it feels an adjective to insert here, I don't know yet, to quite be past that baton repeat all in a couple of ways. Where were you in the creative process with this play when Covid drew the whole thing to a halt? I'd worked with the brilliant, extraordinary Rosanna Vice to design the, the space, the environment or the set that you, that you would see when you entered the auditorium. We got to White Card, which I guess is the first stage of sharing that with the wider teams at Curve and on tour where literally we do a model to scale mm-hmm. all in white card and kind of present it. We're really excited with what we arrived at and where we got to. But then I guess Rosanna and I both being workaholics and really excited, particularly about this play and what Tennessee Williams was trying to offer us or get us to do, meant that we iterated it over the whole of COVID. And actually had a new white card two days ago in which we presented a new version, a sort of retweet. The, the core principles, the foundation blocks are still there, but it feels so much more electric. And I read the Tennessee Williams script again over the weekend. And there's sort of this beautiful stage direction at the very beginning. How does it say? He, in the way that Tennessee Williams is, uh, is so sort of prescriptive and not, he starts before the play even goes, he has notes for the designer. And they go on to give you an A4 (laughs) sheet page of, I want all this stuff. (laughs) And then he goes at the very end, he goes, oh, by the way, even though I've said all that, I don't really want that. I mean, do what you want. And then he goes, and above all, the designer should take as many pains to give the actors room to move about freely, to show their restlessness, their passion for breaking out, as if it were the set for a ballet. Okay, Tennessee, I'm hearing you now. What you're after is a sort of a space for bodies to be bodies for humans to be human beings so without giving too many spoilers Rosanna and I have really sort of gone this is a play that's about 
privileging organic matter, human beings on stage going through stuff. And my God, mine, have we all been through stuff over the past year and a bit. If you Google image, kind of hot tin roof, you'll see pictures of beds. You'll see pictures of fans in the ceiling, balconies where everyone else in another scenes walks upstairs. Because we've become used to assumptions of how this play is done and how this play is seen. And there's something about the assumptions that gets in the way of the, the shock and the beauty and, and what is really the poetry, which is less about sing song to Tennessee Williams and more about Tennessee Williams talking truth. We're not doing the movie. We're not doing any of the production you've ever seen. We're doing kind of a brand new Made in Curve production. And Rosanna and I have just been so interested to find a kind of really contemporary but honest way of, of sharing that with audiences. It's really interesting you talk about you, you've already had a couple of iterations of this yourself. Of course, it was reiterated uh, several times by Tennessee Williams, famously hating the movie, which I guess possibly was because it was um, dominated by the setting rather than the themes in so many ways. But the other thing was he reworked it. It was reworked again. Some of the original text went back in in 1974. It was always a work in progress anyway, in a way, wasn't it? Absolutely. It, um, I, I mean, that feels, another kind of COVID project is I've been going through all Tennessee Williams's um, letters and all his notes and I read his autobiography and sort of done all that work so there's real spirit in both of us to kind of be true to the the spirit of the man as opposed to I think what he was doing there going don't be true to my letter because I'm going to change my letter and I'm going to iterate my own text just like you're saying Martin but going what does it mean to like represent classics today and why how in the age of kind of flea bag and succession and normal people all of which I feel are sort of linked to this play in some way why do we still go to the theatre and what is it about that live experience but also a play that feels or well, at least was written in the 1950s but isn't set in the 1950s is there a way of making it feel more present in our lives and contemporary without having to do sort of mobile phones shiny updates because again that feels a bit too reductive for this play but, you know Tennessee Williams was so interested about time periods and he, he wrote plays when he was a when he was very when he was writing that were set in a present like Glass Menagerie, like Suddenly Last Summer. But again, at the beginning of Cat Hot Two, he goes, "This is a play for now." So if he and he if he was keep if he kept rewriting over his lifetime to make it kind of feel for now, with completely honouring the letter of the text and not changing words or things like that, how can we make it feel? now one thing that i would say is you know there are so many plays and people might say why is that play never staged anymore and very often the reason behind that is that it's lost its relevance in some ways this certainly hasn't take away the setting and the themes are all relatable today monacity is a key untruthfulness and in lie telling in the generation of fake news and social media it's still as relevant today isn't it absolutely yeah and, and all those themes you highlighted were kind of the ones that I certainly latched on when I first read it. And then with Rosie as well, the kind of the design we've been cooking is sort of being, sort of finding a way to sort of hold all those ideas. Um, we're in really interested in this space that's a space of emotion, a space of feeling, but also hopefully a space of ideas. But then, having lived through <laughs> this extraordinary, difficult, sometimes occasionally joyful time, maybe, that's been the past... You know, over 15 months now. It feels there's a new question that when I read, when I came to Cat again this weekend and picked up the scripts, which is a really profound one, which is about how do we begin our recovery? And, you know, at a time of ever-increasing national loneliness where all things feel wrapped up in a blanket of isolation, 
that is being woven by distrust and knitted with anxiety. It feels that like Cat and the Hot Tin Roof is a story for now in that way. Because Tennessee Williams is asking those questions about how do we, as people trying to go about our daily lives and just get through the day, how do we live? How do we survive when we're confronted with these difficult questions? And, it, and, he, and, he, and he poses that in a play full of love and hope. This is absolutely full of themes. You've talked about loneliness already. We, we mentioned, you know, monacity. It's about relationships as well, isn't it? And that's why everybody who sits in an audience and watches this will be able to relate to it. It's exactly that, yeah. What I'd love you to do is come along have a hopefully an exciting night out, have a, have a moving night out, hopefully. Um, and it hopefully will bring up or kind of connect to own things in your own life. And how organic is that rehearsal room? Do you have a structure in mind? Do you literally get it on its feet and let the actors work the thing with you and it, let it evolve? We will all together go somewhere and try and figure something out. But what that is yet, who knows? Set the scene for us without giving too much away in terms of the plot. We see the Pollitt family, at the head of which is Big Daddy and Big Mama, very Southern American names. And it's Big Daddy's 65th birthday, which should be a time of celebration and joy. But within that, we're also looking particularly about the needs of desire and sexuality and love, which should be a more established relationship, and how maybe that sometimes goes awry as well. But the sort of the weight and the energy of what he's asking in terms of acting craft and ability means that it's just going to be so exciting for the who audience get to see it occur. For those of people that know it, this should be shown the play in a new way. And for those that don't, this should just be an exciting night out in the theatre. I wish you all the very best with this. I'm excited for you, actually. But make sure that if you possibly can, you don't miss this classic Pulitzer Prize-winning play. It's uh, Tennessee Williams, a made-at-curve production directed by Anthony Almeida. It's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And again, it opens on Friday the 3rd of September. Anthony, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, you're so welcome, Martin. Thanks for having me. Fresh from his hugely successful Broadway debut, Darren Brown comes to Curve this October with his first brand new live show in six years called Showman. Now, if you've seen any of his previous shows, you'll know that this multi-award winning master of mind control and psychological illusion is absolutely incredible live. He's received wide critical acclaim, more Olivier wins and nominations than any other in history. And I'm delighted to say that he's joining us on the Curving Conversation podcast. How are you, Darren, first of all? I'm very good after that introduction. I feel very good about myself. Thank you. <laughs> How frustrating has the last 15, 16 months been for you? Because this has been, you know, the audiences are eagerly anticipating this and they've had to wait a bit. I know, I know. So the first lockdown happened on the day that we were due to start the tech. So, you know, the kind of the, the days of getting the show physically up to speed before you actually open. So we were due to go into the theatre on that first week. So that was a bit of a shock. And then we had a couple of full starts, which uh, amazingly managed to sort of retain people's goodwill. Um, and thank you to all the people that did that and transferred their tickets onto the the next uh, date and, and bed with us and, and I guess, you know, the rest of the world. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a frustrating uh, time, but it is very... Uh, exciting to finally be kind of able to do it and to 
but even even just the, the very thought of kind of being backstage in a theatre and having crowds of people, oh, you know, it's just, it's such a, at the moment, as you know, as we're talking, it's such a strange uh, thought to, to be thinking about. So um, exciting and, and bizarre to look forward to. Now, you're not the sort of man who would sit around twiddling fingers and thumbs and thinking, what, what shall I do? You've actually produced a book, which is timely, really, isn't it? Because it, it actually is perfect for the situation we've just found ourselves in. I wrote a little book called A Little Happier, uh, which was a very nice lockdown experience. And I've written another book, uh, which is out now called A, a Book of Secrets, a bigger book and uh, has been a, a sort of an amazing thing to get on with. I've also been painting. Painting and writing turn out to be great lockdown activities. So I'm now selling my paintings more than I used to through my uh, through my website. So I've kind of lent into these. I, I guess I'm quite introverted. So from that point of view, lockdown uh, was uh, conducive to, you know, things I enjoy getting on with. Just on a book of secrets, though, it really does take a more positive and optimistic look at uh, the situation that we've been in, in COVID-19. It's, it's all about you know, considering the value of difficulty and um, and how you can actually make the most of that going forward and take out the positives, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, uh, Happy was about, uh, which was a book I read a few years ago, was about stoicism and, and, and uh, which is offering a, a different approach to happiness than the sort of modern optimistic kind of uh, mantra. And this is sort of a, in a way, it's a bit of a follow on to that. And Showman was born out of the same thought, which is that the, the difficult things in life and life unavoidably takes us to difficult places are although we tend to feel most alone and most isolated during those times are actually because we're feeling the precise weight of life during those times it's it's the very times that we're most connected to other people we're experiencing what it is like to be human without all the sort of you know fun distractions um so there's a sort of strangely albeit slightly melancholy but a sort of positive aspect of those things rather than feeling rather than feeling alone and, and and frightened that we're actually strangely most connected to other people and then lockdown happens and it's a very physical literal um, play out of that isn't it here we are mm. most isolated but we're all joined up by this common experience and by this shared suffering so the the book uh, a book of secrets is sort of around that and finding unusual places for compassion and and navigating a, a world that is you know is is difficult and doesn't fit in with our plans and is messy and complex uh, but also strangely it, because it was the thought behind showman as well um and then the world drastically change um, over the 18 months that it was paused it's been interesting to return to because it, on the one hand i'm going to rewrite a few aspects of it but on the other hand it's kind of we've all sort of leaned into precisely the feeling that the show was sort of about at its heart so it's certainly a time for shared vulnerabilities and that's a you know, good thing again for anybody who's ever seen you live it's really important that y the only thing you can expect is the unexpected one thing's for sure the audience is possibly the most important aspect of of your shows and um we can't really spoil it we can't talk about it because apart from anything else it's evolving and every one of your shows will be different because the audience is different yeah actually one of the most touching aspects of doing these shows over the last 20 years is i've always sworn the audience to secrecy and people have done that people have gone with it and they haven't spoken about it online i'm sure you know some people obviously have and the odd journalists uh, annoyingly tend to be the ones that, uh, that do spoil the game but it i think the element of surprise is you know is a really important aspect of it and is part of the fun so it's um i guess it's like you know not spoiling the twists in a film or something it's a little little bit like that i think people 
get the importance of it. And I've always tried to sort of do this, although I've become more consciously aware of it recently, is to make the show about the audience, about yeah. you as an audience member, which my manager actually just had in an offhand comment years ago said that was unusual as far as any any kind of magician is concerned, because normally the show is about the guy on stage. It's normally about the magician. But the, all the stuff that's interesting to me about magic is not how powerful you look as a magician because we all know that it's not real and there's there's some kind of you know trick going on but it's what we're doing in the audience what an audience member is doing to create the illusion of what's happened that it says a lot about our storytelling capacities right so here we are in this world with this infinite data source coming at us and in order to make sense of that and just navigate through it from day to day, we have to reduce it to a story. We have to edit and we have to delete and we come up with a story that we mistake for the truth. We mistake the, you know, the, the, the limits of our own field of vision for the, for the limits of, of reality. And it sort of occurred to me that magic's a surprisingly good analogy for something that's often rather kind of childish and just seeks to impress. It's actually a great working analogy for how we interpret reality from day to day because when you watch a magician doing a trick you know that there must be something going on that you've missed and it is the same it's the same thing with life there's stuff going on all the time that we are missing that if we knew it would drastically be changing our stories but we don't and we make the mistake of mistaking our stories for the truth every day and this has become as i've grown up it's become more of a kind of central theme i think to, to what i do and it's allowed me to find something grown up in the otherwise quite you know childish business of magic or whatever it is you want to call it i don't even really know i think mental mentalism is the technically correct word but it's a bit of a bit of a strange word to use so while you've been waiting to actually take this out on the road have you tweaked it has it still continued to develop well as we speak we're reworking bits partly in light of the last 18 months but also just given the fact that it's it's sort of a privilege to have this kind of hindsight there's a couple of bits that after you know sitting on it for a bit we've all sort of thought oof I don't know maybe that bit doesn't work we can rework that and uh, it's great to be able to do that so yeah at the moment I'm in the middle of making making changes it's always a strange experience with these shows because you can I, I can obviously rehearse it um, to an extent but I can only rehearse it with a few people that are with me in the rehearsal room so I never really know until I'm out on stage for the first night whether a lot of these things will work and sometimes so like the uh, miracle which was a show I did a couple of shows ago the whole of the second half was faith healing and it demanded a full audience of, you know, at least a thousand people for it to work at all, right? Mm. Because it's the sort of thing that just kind of works on a percentage of, of the audience. So there was no way of rehearsing it. So there was no way of knowing if any of the second half was going to work at all until I just went out and did it. And unless I did it with complete confidence, I knew it wouldn't work. So there's a kind of slightly nerve wracking and just odd aspect of the way these shows do come together that you you know i'm kind of writing it and changing it and relying on strange things like you know the more shows i do the more as an audience turns up they bring different expectations with them there's a kind of prestige thing which has the effect of allowing me to achieve greater influence over people or greater sort of effect while having to do less seemingly do less on my part so now somebody can come up on stage and I can shake hands with them and they they collapse out in a trance state whereas that I could I couldn't have ever done that in my first show you know when people didn't know who I am so I'm also just relying on each show I'm just sort of hoping that, um, <laughs> that these things will happen and that I can achieve a bit more than I did in the last show but with no way of knowing until I actually get up there and do it so it's it's a really um on your toes kind of uh experience and then as you say from night to night it 
changes each night is different i'm learning stuff particularly at the beginning you know a lot from night to night the first couple of weeks we'll be changing a lot of things as well so it's sort of like going out and doing a different one-man show every night probably about a good third of the show will change until it sort of locks into place it's a very busy a uh, lot of you know juggling of things just to, to get the show up to speed i bet you can't wait to get back into a, a technical rehearsal and then get out on stage in front of an audience can you exactly it's it's um there's a particular sweet spot i think after about a week when the show's locked down and it enters your muscle memory that's what you kind of want you just want it in your bones so that i'm not having to think about what i've got to do next but you can actually just sort of get into the swing of it and just start to really enjoy it and concentrate on the important bit which is making it fresh uh, so you're not you don't ever feel you're repeating it but instead you're recreating it that's that's really it's really important i'm sure an actor would say the same thing you need to feel those things on stage as if they're for the first time so that it it reads as something that's fresh and not as just something that you're repeating so it takes a, about a week before it just starts to really feel like it's flying and then it's just glorious and i love every every second i've got to say as well um, you mentioned that your, your artwork is uh, available and it's on your website if people are interested but i'm so blown away by your portraits jack nicholson particularly <laughs> and also for anybody who uh, knows leicester will know that the attenboroughs spent their formative mm-hmm. years in the city and and the david attenborough portrait they're all stunning how many do you do in a period of time in in, in lockdown how many did you produce i was quite prolific during lockdown i've said i can't I've, I've always done them in sort of bursts because i have you know chunks of the year where i'm touring or involved in a tv project whatever which are always completely time consuming so i'll have a break of a few months and then i'll just do a whole load but they kind of take a week or so each to do they're quite large slightly kind of caricatured portrait just something i've done all my life um but only sort of um really thought i've had a few exhibitions and so on before but only really thought about selling them and selling prints and so on properly over this last uh period of time i'll I'll take anything that allows me to be sort of engrossed in some activity that just kind of you know gets me out of my own head and so on i think you know we, we all find meaning in life by finding something bigger than ourselves and throwing ourselves into that. Well, they are stunning, I have to say. It's a shame that you couldn't take a, a load of the uh, portraits on tour with you and have a an exhibition in the foyer of the theatre that you're at because it would be perfect for Curve. You've got Stephen Sondheim in there, amazing one of Freddie Mercury as well. They're all absolutely stunning. Listen, do not miss this brand new show from Derren Brown coming to uh, Curve this October, 19th to the 23rd. It's called Showman. And Darren, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me. Finally, on this episode of Curving Conversation, an actor who made her West End debut in the musical Bend It Like Beckham. You've seen her many times in shows here, from Pink Sari Revolution to The Importance of Being Earnest and Scrooge the Musical to more recently Amdram. She will be back at her favourite theatre this autumn in Everybody is Talking About Jamie. She is Sharon Full. Sharon, thank you for talking to us and welcome back to Leicester. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. It's, it will be great to be back. Absolutely. I said this is your favourite theatre because you're no stranger to Curve. In fact, I think it's fair to say that maybe without Curve, you may not have become a professional actor. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is one of my favourite theatres to perform in. It is like I've said many times, it's like a second home to me because I've been able to build my career there. After I left university, I um, I did a lot of the Made at Curve 
shows there with Paul Kerrison and I'm really pleased to see that the Made at Curve shows are a really big part of the theatre still. That makes me so happy because they did a lot for me and kind of, yeah, as a stepping stone for me into the industry and in, into doing what I love doing. Now, your first shows, correct me if I'm wrong, West Side Story and Sweeney Todd. They must bring back happy memories. Do you keep in touch with any of the people you work with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's such a good community of people. And I'm so pleased to see them doing really well in the industry now as well. I used to work as an usher at the theatre too, so I feel like I know the theatre inside out. And I know some people, when I came back to do the show a few weeks ago, some people are still working there. And I just, that's what I love about the theatre is it's just full of people who are so passionate about creating, about making it a wonderful space for artists, for audiences. Um, it's such a good community of people and I cannot reiterate that enough. It's the, it's the thing I love most about it. And I think with those community shows, um, such a great reputation of producing West End actors because obviously Jack Skelly is uh, in rehearsals for Frozen, uh, Mary Jean Caldwell was in Les Mis and you did Bend It Like Beckham. So it's a great place to start, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I learned so much. We had an amazing rehearsal process and as a theatre to perform in as a younger person as well, it's it's got such a, a magical, special feel. So yeah, it was integral to a lot of our our training and our learning. So you've originated shows at Curve, made in Curve Productions, but you actually came back recently, didn't you? What was it like to come back to Curve in a tour in Amdram? Oh, it felt incredible. It was the first live show that I'd done since we had to close Jamie last year. So it was um, an incredible feeling to be back in a theatre and just um, seeing familiar faces there's something about being in that auditorium and I think it's amazing the work that Curve have done to make it accessible, to make people feel safe and comfortable in the theatre, which is hugely important. Every time I'm I'm there, I just, I kind of, I, I, I feel like pinching myself really. It just, it's like coming <laughs> round full circle. And, and I remember especially coming back to do my first professional show there with Nikolai for the importance of being earnest. I remember just um, standing there on the first night in front of the audience at the end of the show, just being so incredibly grateful to the people there, to the place, to, to everyone who's done some in you know, who supported me so well. Well, you've worked extremely hard, that's for sure. And I mentioned that you've done so many different things already, from Shakespeare to Oscar Wilde, which you just mentioned, musical like Scrooge, and of course, Bend It Like Beckham. Um, tell us a bit about Jamie. How does this show compare to others you've done? It's such a wonderful piece of theatre. It's such a wonderful story. It's a homegrown British musical. I love working on new writing and so the chance to to work on the show is just incredible and I um I remember seeing it a few years ago and just being completely taken by the heart of it I think that's what makes it so special and it's it's got such a big following now because the messages in the show are so relatable to to everyone and mm. um, their messages of acceptance of being free to be who you are um, wholeheartedly, of having that support network, that sense of togetherness, which actually, I think coming out of this pandemic, it just means so much more now to be able to tell 
this story and, and share these messages with people from around the country. And I just know that we are all so excited to get back. And I just know that that first opening night is, is going to be really special. And I think it, it just resonates so much more now, even more so than it did before. You're absolutely right. I mean, there are many shows that have been actually originated in previous centuries or decades that may have some relevant themes today. This is a real in-the-moment show. It's relevant to everybody, whoever they might be, in the 21st century, isn't it? And it's got a fabulous score. It's based on a true story, so it's relevant in that respect as well. And it must be, you know, a real buzz for you to be involved in something that's so contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. Every single character on that stage, every person you see, the essence of that character, it, you, you can see it shine. And I think that's what makes it so great. It's just so full of detail. It's a really, really lovely story about about growing up, about finding yourself and, and about all of those the hardships, the fun that comes out of that. So um, I play Pretty Pasha, who is Jamie's best friend. Mm -hmm. And we have some really lovely scenes together of just, you know, two 16-year-olds figuring out who they are, helping each other. She She's such a rock to Jamie on his journey of discovery. And, you know, she's got a, a real heart of gold. And, I, and on that journey, she discovers a lot about herself. You see so many lovely relationships being built. The relationship with Jamie and his mother, Margaret, is so well portrayed in the show. And it's those stories that, that everybody can glean something from. And what I love so much about it is the heart of the show is so uplifting and it's got so many positive messages that kind of, you know, come, especially again coming out of the pandemic, is it's so important to celebrate that, to celebrate people being together again. It certainly reflects the way society is today and, and the issues that society has, but it's so human and uplifting and just what we need at this time as well. Uh, while we're on the subject of the pandemic, how has the last uh, 14, 15 months or so been for you? It's so strange to not be able to share these stories and, and to be as creative as as we wanted to be we just started the tour luckily I, i'm really grateful that we we got to we were out on the road for six weeks with the show so i'm glad that we got to share it with some audiences we took it back to sheffield which is where it originated and it's got such a a, a wonderful following there and we will be going back to sheffield as well hopefully with it I think it's just it's so lovely now, especially with with being able to do Amdram and, and some other shows in the last couple of weeks um, to see that traction and that and uh, people getting back into a room and creating again. I am so appreciative of being able to do this as my job and, and even more so now. I tell you what, it's been a really challenging time for everybody in the industry, actors, um, stage technicians, freelancers in every area. But even while it's been challenging for you, uh, you and some other actors have been involved in a charity single, haven't you, to raise money. That's to help with the COVID relief efforts in India. How did It Means Beautiful come about? It was um, an idea conceived by a friend of mine who I've worked with many times. It's been so hard for so many people o over the past year and I, and I think seeing the hardships and um, knowing how, how much support they needed, wanting to put something together to spread awareness, to give a message of support, also to raise as many funds 
as possible for those relief efforts that were so necessary. So yeah, so It Means Beautiful is, it's such a, a wonderful song to, to choose because it's actually one of my favourite songs in the show. It has such a purity to it. It's about just embracing yourself and that whoever you are is enough. It's beautiful. And actually, it's a message about hope, which was so important to share at the time. Well, it's absolutely fantastic. So well done. And congratulations to everybody who was involved with that project. In the meantime, we are so excited to welcome you back to Curve with Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which opens on Monday the 20th of September. Check out the Autumn Brochure for details on that and every other show that features in the season. And in the meantime, Sharon, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much and I can't wait to see everyone. And I'm afraid that's about all we've got time for. Make sure you subscribe to the series though and you don't miss any future episodes because in the next few months we're going to be talking to Curve Chief Executive Chris Stafford and Artistic Director Nikolai Foster as well as finding out more about Curve's youth and community companies, artist development and lifelong learning at the theatre. All that coming up. So make sure you join me, Martin Ballard, next time for some more Curving Conversation. Oh, 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 oh,